So it's Christmas. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. We're going to do a bit of a a quick uh, Christmas-related message this morning. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. And it says, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to their place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Fantastic. Lord, we thank you for your word to us. And Lord, this morning, pray that it will be meaningful and real and relevant and speak into our situations. Thank you, Lord. So, it's Christmas. This time next week, we'll be here on Christmas morning. Yeah, and it's the brass band uh, carol service tonight. And we'll be pulling out all the classic Christmas scriptures. We've had a few of them today. Yeah, so the classic Christmas reading from Luke 2 goes something like this. The shepherds were watching their flocks. It was nighttime. The angel of the Lord appeared to them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. Fear not, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Which is a bit of an understatement, all things considered. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem. Christmas for Christians is so important. It's an awesome celebration, yeah? It's really important. In fact, it's pivotal to our faith because we remember and we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. Now, you look around you today, the rest of the, you know, the last few weeks, the next coming weeks, and it's easy to be um, distracted, isn't it? It's easy to completely miss Jesus in all that's going on in the world. To be honest, the flashing lights, you know, and Santa Claus and all that kind of stuff. My wife calls me a bar humbug. I try not to be. <laughs> you know, I do love Christmas. But, you know, if I'm honest, it does get to me, the, the craziness of it all, the indulgence of it carnival mentality of it you know don't get me wrong I'm up for a party but I struggle to get over the contrast between the humility and the poverty of the nativity scene and this bizarre show that we put on for ourselves these days and as a church it must be said that that must be pretty confusing for the rest of the world, yeah? What on earth are we celebrating? So anyway, for the sake of stating the obvious, it is Jesus Christ that we're glorifying this morning. 
yeah? And next week, and the week after, nothing else and nobody else but Jesus Christ. So it's going to say, short one this morning, quickly spell out the message of Christmas from this passage written by the Apostle Paul. So he says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the highest place of honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Fantastic. Right then. The, uh, the typical nativity scene that we see yeah, and the songs that we sing and the cards that we give each other, you know, we talk about the birth of the baby Jesus, okay? And the donkey and the shepherds and all that kind of stuff. And the circumstances that surround the birth of Christ, yeah, this little family. And that's fine. And that's nice and that's important. But we're going to take a little bit of a step back from that. In the beginning, before the creation of the world, there was... God, God and his word, yeah? By his word, he created the world. He created the universe, all that we see, the enormous things, the tiny things, the beautiful things, the powerful things, the humble things, all things were created by his word. We're paraphrasing a little bit here. And then his word became flesh became human and walked among us. And he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son, John 1. And so there's a few steps to walk through as we read back through this Philippians passage. And the first one is this. He is God. Yeah? Very, very important. And there's an epic study here that we're not going to do today. <laughs> we're not going to tackle it right now. I attempted to break this down a while ago, maybe a few months ago. when we went through the opening section of John 1. There's a huge amount to be said on this. But the truth is, and the point is that we need to begin with here, is that the Son is God. Yeah? And your version of this scripture might be worded slightly differently. You might say he existed in the form of God or being in very nature God. In Matthew's gospel, he quotes Isaiah, which we've had this morning, calling the son Emmanuel, which means God with us. In John's gospel, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. He is and was eternally God. One of the best verses of ever, any song ever written, and all the better for being a Christmas carol. <laughs> Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. 
pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Yeah? <laughs> so the first point is this. He is God. And the second point is he abandoned his sovereign position. Okay? He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to or to be grasped. He abandoned his sovereign position. So there was a great angel in heaven. You could think of him as the worship leader of heaven, and his name was Lucifer. In Isaiah 14, it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven, and I will set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead. This is Lucifer. This is Satan. Lucifer wanted to cling to this glory. Yeah, He wanted to grasp this glory for himself. He wanted to set himself in the place of God, even though it wasn't his position to take. And by contrast, Jesus Christ, though he was God, though it is his rightful position and it is his rightful place, he did not consider this position of glory something to be grasped, something to cling on to. And instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took on the humble position of a slave he did not cling to his position he emptied himself he emptied himself now he did not empty himself of the character and attributes of God this is important as well he still is God so what did he empty himself of John 17 Jesus is praying And he says, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. Jesus gave up his heavenly glory. Yeah? His glory, when he was here in this world, was veiled. Yeah? Set aside. See little glimpses of his glory every now and then, like the transfiguration and stuff like that. But he was veiled. Yeah, Isaiah 53 says, like a root in dry ground, there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He gave up his heavenly riches, his glory, his honor. Contrary to what you might see on Christmas cards and paintings and things, Jesus didn't walk around with a halo around his head or like a bright shining aura or anything like that. There was nothing special about his appearance. When they came to arrest him, Judas had to point him out. He had to identify him as, with a kiss. Jesus even gave up the independent exercise of his own will. John 6, he says, I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not my own will. Yeah. So Jesus gave up his divine privileges. He took on the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. Christ 
the king of all kings, the king of the universe, lays aside his majesty, takes off his crown, and steps down into humanity. And he stepped all the way down. All the way down. He could have stepped down into the position of the president or a king. Yeah? King of Israel or something. No, he stepped all the way down. Not to be served, but to serve. The king of kings takes on the humble position of a slave. And this isn't just wordplay. It's not like poetic language. It didn't just adopt a superficial kind of humanity. It wasn't a masquerade of humility. Jesus is literally born into poverty. Yeah? He's born the illegitimate child to a pair of unmarried teenagers in the middle of nowhere in an animal trough in a shed. He wasn't half God, half man. He was and he is fully God, but he became fully man. He was 100% human, flesh. He experienced cold and hunger and emotions and pain. It's incredible to consider the fact that Jesus grew up and learned the trade of Joseph and did these things, yeah? He learned how to craft from wood. He probably made furniture. He probably made tools and stuff for other people. He made the world. He placed the stars into sky. He made man and woman. We're, the other week, he washed the feet of his friends. He washed his friends' feet. But at, at his feet, the angels will bow. So point one, he is God. Point two, he abandoned his sovereign position. His humiliation is defined by his death on the cross. His death as a sacrifice, yeah, for the atonement of sin, the payment of our debt to God. We've heard about as we took communion, the reconciliation of his people back to the Father. The wrath of God against sin satisfied once and for all by the punishment poured out on himself. There's a lot that could be said here. There's a lot that could be said here. Has everyone heard of the naughty list and the nice list? Yeah? So the story of Santa goes, you know, he's got a list of children's names and over the course of a year, leading up to Christmas, they either end up on the naughty list or the nice list. And so which list you're on at the end of the year qualifies you for Christmas presents or not. <laughs> so we took the kids to see Santa yesterday at Amerton Farm and uh, a very helpful young elf was showcasing her latest gadget, which is some kind of scanner to see whether children had been naughty or nice. And they'd stand under this little arch and then she'd ask them some questions and then the lights would go green to indicate that they'd been a good child this year and they were on the nice list. Yeah, it's like, phew, thank goodness for that. And then she picks an adult from the group to demonstrate that the lights go red sometimes. And then she puts Vicky under the archway and asks her a few questions. And then to everyone's amusement, she decided that Vicky was on the naughty list. 
Yeah. <laughs> now, on trial before Pilate, Jesus Christ answers Pilate. He says, I was born into this world to testify to the truth. And the truth is that God keeps a list. Yeah? God keeps a list, a record called the Book of Life. In Exodus 33, the people have built an idol and God is angry with them and Moses is pleading with God on their behalf. He says, but now if only you will forgive their sin, but if not, erase my name from the record you have written. And the Lord replied to Moses, no, I will erase the names of everyone who has sinned against me. The truth is that at the end of days, when this life is over, we will face our Lord and Creator. Revelation 20, Scripture says, And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it, and the earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. And I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. And death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name is not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Which sounds absolutely terrible. Yeah? The threat of not getting presents might give you some leverage over your kids to get them to behave themselves. Yeah? Ultimately, God's record of us carries rather more weight than that. Yeah? And you can believe he means what he says because God is a holy judge. And on that day, he will not be messing about. It says the sky tried to flee from his presence but couldn't find a place to hide. Can you imagine that? What does that even mean? We will face God as a judge. But we also know that God is love. And we sing about it. God is love. He created us. He loves us. He desires none to perish. Look back at um, Philippians 2. Jesus Christ, born into this world. Then what next? When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. The truth is that every single one of us here today and watching online, have sinned before a holy God. And every one of us would have quite rightly and justly had our names removed from the book of life. And that's just the fact of the matter. And every single one of us, as a result of that, would have been facing, there's no Christmassy way of saying it really, the lake of fire, hell. And that is the fact of the matter. Thank God then, <laughs> thank God that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, our Savior, willingly takes that punishment on himself. 
And that is the good news. That is the good news. Jesus Christ suffers and dies to pay the penalty for my sin. And because of that, I can stand before the holy judge, innocent, covered by his righteousness. Jesus Christ says, rejoice because your names are registered in heaven, in the Lamb's book of life. In Romans 5, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. And so finally then, and briefly, point three, he ascended into glory. It says, therefore, God elevated him to the highest place of honor and gave him the name above all other names that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His humiliation was complete on the cross and now Christ is restored to his full glory. Full honor, full privilege, full use of his will. Yeah, at his name, every knee will bow. Every tongue will declare that he is Lord, whether in heaven or on earth or under the earth. Yeah? Are you listening? Every knee is bowed in heaven. Every knee is bowed on earth. Every knee in hell, under the earth, is bowed. Every tongue declares that Jesus Christ is Lord. Don't for a minute think that people in hell don't recognize Jesus as Lord. The difference is that every tongue in heaven declares that Jesus is Lord in celebration and in victory. Yeah, where we're restored and we're healed and there is no more suffering and there's no more pain. In hell, the Lordship of Christ does not change. But there is not victory. There is remorse and anguish and bitterness and no way back. So I'm going to finish with this point this morning. Whether in heaven or in hell, either way, you will bow the knee and declare Jesus Christ is Lord. So the question is, while still on earth, while the choice is still yours, will you bow the knee? Will you declare Jesus Christ as Lord? Now, while the arm of grace is extended to you and you still have a choice to make. If we flick back to Revelation, where we just read about God judging all people from his book and casting death into the lake of fire and all that stuff. If you look past that to the next chapter, you read about the new heaven and the new earth and new Jerusalem and stuff. He says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. These things are gone forever. And that's our hope. And this is the good news. What happens if you confess Jesus Christ as Lord this Christmas or even today?
this morning. Yeah, Romans 10 verse 9, one of my favorite scriptures. I read it almost every week. <laughs> if you openly declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Three points on Christmas this morning. Number one, Jesus was and is God. Number two, Jesus laid aside his majesty. And number three, he is ascended in glory. He takes his rightful place as Lord, far above any ruler or authority or power or leader of this world. And so the question this morning is, will you recognize the Lordship of Christ this Christmas? Will you bow the knee? Yeah, the message of Christmas is the demonstration of his love and his outstretched hand to us. You have the choice and the opportunity to take that today. Amen.